0: This episode is sponsored by Nexo.io, QuantStamp, and EY.
1: Money is changing. So, where do we go from here? Through high profile interviews and thought provoking analysis, join Michael Casey and Sheila Warren for the Money Reimagined podcast as they explore the connection between finance, human culture, and our increasingly digital lives. And just a reminder Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. And now, you're Sheila Warren.
0: Welcome to Money Reimagined. I'm Sheila Warren. Michael's on a holiday, so I'm flying solo for this week's episode. As we discussed on this show, I recently left the World Economic Forum to be the inaugural CEO of the Crypto Council for Innovation, a global alliance of crypto industry leaders with a mission to demonstrate the transformational promise of crypto and communicate its benefits to policymakers, regulators, and people all around the world. We're an evidence-based advocacy organization with the goal of ensuring that crypto's benefits can be realized by all. And when it comes to policy, we create an enabling environment in which innovation can thrive. Now, it's not my first time in the crypto ecosystem. I've been engaged here for seven years and shifted my focus professionally to it full-time in 2017. And one thing I can tell you with absolute certainty is that we are in a critical and acute period when it comes to policy. The next few years are going to determine the trajectory of this technology for generations to come and shape who has access to it, where, and how. So I took this role at CCI because I already had a front row seat to the importance of policy. And I wanted to do my part to make sure that policy was inclusive and grounded in equity and fairness. Now, policymakers themselves are coming to the same conclusion, it seems, about the importance of this time, especially in Washington, where activity in the crypto space has taken off and is now a major talking point, even within Beltway Media. And the tone has shifted over the past year, with lawmakers joining regulators and recognizing that this is an industry that should be taken very seriously. Now, it's fair to say a lot of folks in crypto live in a bit of a bubble. We talk crypto all day long to anyone who will listen, but that's just not true for most people. So how does Washington actually see crypto? Our guests today are some of the best-edition people in the world to know. Senator Cory Gardner, former senator and representative from Colorado, is newer to crypto, but no stranger to Washington nor politics. And Nikki Kristoff, CEO of Kristoff & Company, a DC strategic consultancy and host of the podcast Teched Up. Has also served on the front lines of political campaigns and is a quintessential Washington insider. In full disclosure, I have the privilege of working with both these brilliant people at CCI. Corey is the chief strategist of political affairs at CCI, and Nikki consults with us on communication strategy. So I'm really excited to have this conversation with the two of you about Washington, perceptions of crypto in Washington, what are we doing well or badly, and how does the way that we're perceived as an industry within the Beltway match or not match our self perception about ourselves in the industry? Maybe Nikki, I'll turn it to you first from kind of a comms orientation perspective.
2: Great. Thanks so much for having me, Sheila. Uh, It's a pleasure to work with you and fun to be on a Coindesk show for the first time. I am talking to you literally from half a mile from the White House, so quintessential beltway insider for better or worse. (laughs) This is my hometown. And I think from a communications perspective and an advocacy perspective, the big gap really is between those who've been looking at crypto and blockchain technology for several years and they know it stone cold and members of Congress, their senior staff and regulators who not only are relatively new to the topic and the technology, but also they have a lot of other things on their plate. So one of the things that bugs me a lot is when people say like, well, they're too old to get it. It's not true. They're busy. This town is run by octogenarians. They have a lot on their plates. and so. One of the things that I'd like to see the industry do and that I'm working toward personally is crafting a story that is digestible, compelling, that people in Washington can understand why they should care about this and really demonstrating the true value to people across the different parts of Web3, cryptocurrency, but also different parts of Web3 and why they should care. And right now there's a definite gap both in familiarity but also in just pure ability to absorb what's happening in the industry. There's a major communications gap.
0: Well, I also think it's interesting because a lot of the educational approach that was taken over the past years is very technical in nature. It's like understanding the technology and encryption and how it functions and all of that, as opposed to what is it for? What does it do? How does it work at at a more abstract level? And I think that that's important because some of the policy approaches that we're trying to, to promote as an industry do require a certain understanding of how this technology differs from previous technologies. But it's actually not quite as detailed, I would argue, as a lot of folks tend to default to. And that's in part because I think this industry was, it's a lot of developers, a lot of people who are really fascinated by the technology. And we're just starting to catch up with policy people and comms people and others in this space. Would you agree with that assessment? I absolutely agree with you. So it's
2: interesting that you said that this is developer focused. I've been working in tech for the last 15 years, which is engineer focused. So you've already got a little bit of a delta between the engineers and then the lawyers like me, (laughs) lawyers, policy people, comms, people who are absorbing the technical information and then communicating it to each other. This is not engineers. These are developers. And not only that, they're developers that have been working in these little rabbit warrens for years amongst themselves, creating a language that is not clear to laymen. Trustless is a positive in crypto, but that's not obviously a positive to other people as a term. So I think you're right. It's not just tech heavy, but it's led by a really hard to understand part of tech. And right now, we're bringing in the communicators. That's the job. And I don't need to understand exactly how things work. Like, I don't need to completely understand the technical aspects. I need to understand the use cases and why it matters. Why does it matter to me? Why does it matter to a member of Congress or a senator? Why does it matter to someone living in a country with a less stable financial system? What's a real use case? And I think that's where there's a lot of opportunity, but it's also a challenge.
0: So Corey, and I think we, we've had these conversations and I think you agree to this frame, but I'm really curious to have you tell our audience like, about your own, you know, how did you get interested in this space and how did that happen? Because I think the evolution of you, because it started when you were still in office, right? You got interested in this technology and what it could do. Uh, how did that happen? What, was, what sparked that? And what made you in the midst of maybe a communications gap, let's say, what caused you to kind of see past that or through that to the heart of what is really interesting about this?
1: Yeah. You know, it's really incredible. In Congress, you have this amazing chance to watch things from the outside looking in. New industries, new regulations, uh, whether it's the, you know, the days of trying to get Congress to understand how exactly a Facebook ad works to now trying to explain blockchain and crypto. And you get to see that from the outside in and you get to bring people in. This was a chance to actually get to know an issue from the ground up. It's not often that you can see an industry to see an idea start from the very initial stages and to be involved in the policy from the get-go and to be involved with those developers that Nikki talked about and others who are there to explain how it's all coming together and then to blend, to be able to, to create the synthesis between the actual the product world and the policy world. It really is an exciting thing. And so I've always believed that innovation is how we are going to help lift people up and out of poverty, whether it's innovation in water conservation technology, whether it's innovation in climate technology. An innovation in a financial opportunity. And that's how I first viewed the crypto space to be. It was this chance to say, hey, we're not getting this right every time. I heard somebody the other day say very well that, you know, we thought after Dodd-Frank and some of the other big pieces of legislation that the, the financial industry plumbing for our country had been set and that that plumbing was going to be there for the next, uh, you know, how many years. And now, Here's a chance to completely redo the plumbing of our financial systems. And it is exciting because our financial system hasn't worked for everyone. It's pretty obvious about that. And here's a chance to redo the plumbing to make it work for people. Uh, And that's what's exciting about this, to be on the outside looking in and now working with you and Nikki and the Crypto Council for Innovation, the opportunity to see it from the inside, uh, helping others on the outside be involved in what will be, I think, a transformative part of our economic history.
0: So one of the criticisms a lot of this industry that I think is kind of fair, frankly, is that we we did a lot of big talk before things were actually realized, right? So we get this criticism around financial inclusion. We get this criticism around new kinds of products and services and offerings and things like this, right? We also, of course, get hit with uh, things that I think are not necessarily fair, like the big energy conversation or criminal activity or other things like that. Criminal activity in particular being something that and I hate to say it, but an awful lot of innovation and technology does start off with. <laughs> elicit, you know, kind of folks using it in ways that are maybe not exactly as kosher, morally kosher, let's say, I'm not sure if they're technically illegal, but certainly not things activity we really like love and support. The internet is a great example of this and, and kind of what made the internet blow up. You can get into that conversation too, if you will, if you all want to. But I think it's interesting to kind of see the reactions as some of these promises have started to become more realized. It's interesting watching where that sticking, where that talking point kind of sticks and where it doesn't necessarily land. And so I'm just curious to both of you, you know, how do you perceive the current perception again within Washington? Like, is this seen as still a lot of hype? Is it seen as, okay, it's all still potential that may or may not, you know, occur, or is it being taken seriously as I certainly believe it should be as industry that to, in some extent has started to arrive and certainly has legs that are, I think, undeniable. What is your perception? And maybe Nikki, will go back to you first.
2: So Sheila, I appreciate that. I think that's a really good question is how is Washington thinking about it? And what are the sort of narratives that are sticking to crypto right now? One is that it's filled with scams. One is that it's used by criminals. And I think what you're seeing in Washington right now and what is actually having an impact, and maybe this is a bit cynical, is there's a lot of money in crypto. So suddenly it went from being something that people heard about, but weren't, I think they were hoping was a fad. They wouldn't have to really learn about it because it was, you know, their brother-in-law had a Coinbase account and was showing them their tokens, to now it's literally you've got huge venture capital funds, you've got banks involved in it, you have all the biggest brands involved, and there is a lot of money in it, which means there are a lot of resources being put into making sure the debate is happening in Washington. So people are getting smart on this issue and they're getting smart fast. I think that the idea and, and something I really would flag for the industry is being intellectually honest. So, It is true that there are people using crypto for criminal activity. They're also using cash. But when we talk about it almost in a dismissive way, I think that I would really urge the industry to take fears into account and address them with data and with facts, but also with examples. So I'll give another example. I'm hosting a dinner next week and the entire dinner is filled with women and three quarters of them have worked in law enforcement. They all now work in crypto. So there's a stereotype of the crypto bro in his Lambo you know, on whatever paleo diet <laughs> on Miami There's beach, oil. but actually, yeah. right. And, but at the moment I'm hosting a dinner for all former FBI agents, people who worked at CIA, people who worked at FINRA, and they are now working at crypto companies, making sure that the government understands the tech they need to solve crimes that are on the blockchain. So I really don't think saying, well, it's not used for crime is as effective as saying it is. And we've got people in the industry who are after it and on the case, and using the beauty of the blockchain to solve these crimes. So I think we just need to do a better job explaining who's actually working in this space, because it's not what you might see or in pop culture. That's really not who I interact with on a daily basis in the sector, including
0: you. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, a very fair point. And Corey, I think, you know, to anchor that point, I mean, I don't know that you would have been an obvious person, right, to move your time into crypto and spending the time that you're spending here. And so I'm curious what your perception of this is, and if you've seen an evolution also.
1: Absolutely, I mean, Nikki's right. I mean, this isn't the pet rock, right? I mean, this isn't something that everybody goes out and gets and then just puts away and forgets about it. No, we move on to the next uh, big thing. No, this is something that is uh, is here to stay and is going to grow. And you know, my time in Congress to gravitate toward those fields that were kind of new and provided the opportunities to be transformative. You know, we're recording this today, and I don't know when it's going to air. We're recording this day on four twenty, which is of course a big day in Colorado. I was involved in a lot of cannabis reform legislation during my time in the House and the Senate, particularly in the Senate with both the States Act, the Safe Banking Act. And in a way, the relationship between a freedom-oriented movement, and that's kind of how I view this idea of crypto, they have some unique parallels. This is about opportunity to be left alone, a little bit of freedom to manage something, to own something, to be a part of something, and done properly, letting the innovation flourish We're going to see some remarkable things coming out of this. But what happens when Congress decides it's going to play whack-a-mole, as the old saying goes, here comes somebody, they pop their head up, let's go get them. You know, that's what we have to be prepared for. And I think that's the danger that crypto faces. Nikki talked about how we have to take some of these charges seriously. We do, because crypto has popped its head up. It had a lot of attention to it. And so you've got people's attention. Some of that's good. Some of it's bad. And some people don't want to figure out a way to make it good. They're going to have negative perception immediately. And so what we have to do is to really get into the nuts and bolts of this, to show people, policymakers, how it's working, why it works the way it does, why it's not the threat. You think about the cell phone. I mean, how many people thought it was an existential threat to the way of life in this country? And now it's an essential tool that every one of us has attached to us, basically. And so we've got to explain why this becomes yet another opportunity for us to to live with, to blend into the fabric of our economy in a way that truly makes it stronger. And it's not going to tear at it. It's going to make it stronger. People don't understand that. And that's where we have to take it. And you're right. Just like cannabis, that's probably not something a lot of people saw me heading into or that I saw myself heading into, (laughs) but it is about opportunity. It is about freedom. I was asked one time, Sheila, by a reporter, uh, they said, you know, you introduced these SAFE Act bills, the state's banking act. Have you ever used cannabis yourself? And I had to say no. And I've always felt the people of Colorado would use that against me. So that's one of those things where we've gotten used to the work that is unique and cutting edge. And this is an opportunity.
0: Yeah, it's so fascinating. I think that's right. And I think what's interesting to me as well is how many stories I hear from other folks like senators and others you know, who are like, oh, my grandchild is the one who kind of made me understand that crypto has value beyond criminal activity or you know, beyond speculative investment or whatever, or beyond like Collecting an image I don't really understand how you own the image, (laughs) that kind of stuff, right? Like the board apes or whatever it is. And I think that we are seeing that this is turning into something that is transcending generations.
3: Looking for ways to step up your crypto game? Then go with Nexo. For starters, you get free crypto for each purchase or swap. How about earning guaranteed yields? Up to 17% paid out daily. Ideal for you hardcore hodlers. You don't even need to sell. Instead, borrow instant cash against your assets. Get the most out of your crypto with Nexo at nexo.io. That's N E X O.io. QuantStamp is hiring. Join the leading blockchain security company and help us secure the future of Web3. Working for Quantstamp means a fully remote, flexible environment where creativity and effectiveness are valued. Our clients include projects like Ethereum 2.0, OpenSea, Maker, Aave, and Axie Infinity. And we offer compensation packages on par with big tech. Learn more at quantstamp.com careers. That's quantstamp.com careers. Today's episode is sponsored by EY Blockchain. As businesses prepare for the token economy, EY is committed to building a better working world and connecting global business ecosystems on the public Ethereum blockchain. To learn more about the EY Blockchain portfolio of products and services, visit blockchain.ey.com. That's blockchain.ey.com.
0: Nikki, I want to go back to something that you said, which is, in Washington's run by octogenarians. And there is a a demographic, I think, within Washington. Now, those folks, of course, do hire legislative staff who are different generation from them, by and large, who have different orientation to different kinds of issues. Nevertheless, a certain kind of person chooses that function and that role as their career path, right? Like there is a general, I think it's fair to say, stereotype about who takes a position in Washington, working within Congress in that kind of role and who maybe does not. And I think that, What's interesting to me is kind of thinking about the divide between crypto innovators and how they see themselves, or we see ourselves, I should probably put myself in that camp, and those who are working in a more steady fashion, thinking about the complexity around achieving you know, bipartisan agenda around a brand new industry and how complicated that is. The tension between crypto innovators who are used to moving very quickly, very fast, you know, want things to happen right away, and the way policy is actually made and the reality around policy. And the fact that. You know, no one is ever super 100% satisfied with any policy that eventually emerges through a legislative process by definition, because that's called democracy. So, curious to just kind of get your thoughts and Corey, maybe to you on that process point. The idea here that the crypto industry has is somehow every single talking point that everybody wants is going to get baked perfectly into legislation that's then going to get blessed by everybody and have 14,000 co sponsors and, you know, be like pass sale through. What is the reality of how this actually works?
1: Yeah, look, I mean, if you can't just simply legislate the solution every single time, right? You're going to get pieces and parts of it. You're going to get close to it. Uh, you know, the, the, you talked about the 80-20 rule. If I can get 80% what I'm trying to achieve and perhaps 20% we can work on later, You know, is that a success? And I would say a lot of people believe that it is, including me. Uh, and so I'm struck by the number of people in Congress. You mentioned the older members of Congress, the octogenarian DC is, is run by. Orrin Hatch, for instance, was one of the most leading senators when it came to new technologies, especially in areas like, Patents, uh, intellectual property rights, patent law, the Music Modernization Act, and how it was streaming and how streaming versus uh, broadcasting was going to be governed. Yet this is not somebody who's a member of Congress in their 20s and 30s. This is somebody who is at toward the end of their uh, legislative career involved. And so I do think that we have to recognize this isn't just going to be somebody who's in 20s and 30s making a sense out of this. This is going to be a broad, multi-generational scope and scale of policy we have to approach that differently. Are you going to reach the intended target that you're trying to through Twitter and social media? Probably not. But can you get the same great result by perhaps doing something that may be more shoe leather involved? Yeah, you can. And you just have to make sure that the front that we have for crypto recognizes that multi-generational quality to create a a once-in-a-generation opportunity.
0: I I couldn't agree more with you. And I I also think, and Nikki, you you said this kind of earlier, but I'll say it even more strongly, like the idea that somebody of any age is not capable of understanding why this technology is important and has value. Technical understanding aside, and to your point, earlier point as well, Nikki, like that is not actually a critical component of understanding and being supportive of this technology, nor is it frankly critical to being able to enact the appropriate policy. Like a lot of the technical things should be done through standards bodies and other places, to enact productive policy and to create an enabling environment which innovation can thrive, you have to understand certain things quite well, other things a little bit, and other things not really that much. And the idea that there's not a capacity for doing that, I personally find very offensive because uh, I myself and my own family and in my own life have, you know, onboarded people in this ecosystem across a variety of generations. And so Nikki, you know, would love to give you a chance to kind of address that point as well.
2: I love that you have hit on this again because it, it really, really, is a bee in my bonnet when people talk about they're too old to understand crypto or to get it. It's just not true. And this town, not only are they run by octogenarians, but really smart octogenarians who are incredibly Mm -hmm. aware. And I'm talking the courts, the Congress, you know, this is big organizations and they have an absolute ability to understand it, to get involved in it, to potentially invest in it. And I think where the failure is, or at least the opportunity is to connect the most compelling story to the right person. So if you represent a district that has a diaspora community from Africa, like say you're in Northern Virginia, and we have a lot of El Salvadorans in Northern Virginia, a lot of Ethiopians, Eritreans, say you're sending money back home. Remittances is a really important opportunity for that district. Say you're talking to someone who is focused on national security. We need to be paying attention to the national security implications of a technology that will be used no matter what globally, no matter what the United States does. If we want to talk through just a small toe into the investment opportunities that most people in this country don't have, and this might be an easy way for them to use Cash App and buy some Bitcoin and have some kind of wealth building and touch something that is very difficult if you're going through traditional finance, who cares about that in this town? So telling the real stories to the right people is really essentially all we need to do. We need to map it to stakeholders and not on Twitter taking my life in my hands. I made a comment that crypto Twitter should be more respectful to regulators. I don't know how many scary clown emojis one woman can get. Infinite, I guess. (laughs) That is the answer.
0: Yes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That is the answer. And I'll just say, I'll double down and I'll say, we could also use a dose of humility, Mm -hmm. not just being good manners, but also be humble for a moment. Public servants do not make a ton of money. If they are flying overseas internationally, they're flying coach. And I think that this industry, and not just crypto, but tech in general, remembering that you were talking about the stereotype of a staffer, and I had this moment where I thought, my gosh, maybe I don't even know what the stereotype is, because I (laughs) see it as people who are deeply committed to the mission of the United States, who usually work for a boss that they've passed over a private sector opportunity to work for. They work long hours. There's no coffee shops on Capitol Hill, you guys. It is grim. If you work in the White House, there are rats in the White House. Like This is not glamorous. These are public servants. And they are working their tails off on a variety of issues and they are curious and they are globally focused and they are really committed, obviously, by definition to a mission, whether or not they agree with each other. So in fact, I'm curious what the stereotype is, but these are really earnest people. Yeah. They can understand this and many of them do understand it, but they aren't invested in the same way because a lot of times they have to divest themselves of some of these assets. So I'd add a dose of humility
0: to good manners. I'm sure I'll take a thrashing on Twitter for saying that. Well, I think you nailed the stereotype. I think that's exactly right. And I think it is a stereotype is kind of as a negative connotation. I think that, you know, I have tremendous respect as somebody who did spend a summer, one summer in Washington working for a congressman. Phenomenal experience, but I was like, I have a different approach to how I want to live my life. And a lot of the things about Washington, I mean, it's laborious, hard painstaking work. It's work in coalition building. It's work in having to educate yourself very quickly and have a really strong BS detector to understand like what's coming at you and how is that being filtered? What do you need to know? When do you need to know it? What do you need to filter up to your boss? What do you need to keep at your level? Where do you need to kind of build coalitions? Where are coalitions possible? Is strategic, Is smart, but it has a certain kind of personality that really seeks that out. And I think that's kind of, I would argue, amethetical in many ways to the kind of person who's going to be deeply involved in the crypto ecosystem as a developer or somebody who's engaging in DAOs and on tokens and things like this. Those are not really personalities I see as being super similar in many ways. The other thing I'll say is I think that tech in general, but crypto specifically at this current moment, you know, is not necessarily focus on history. So I am a, I love history. Michael and I both adore history. You hear on this podcast a lot, us bringing in guests who can kind of draw connections to threads from previous times and all that kind of thing. And part of what I think is really important for us to realize, I say this all the time, I don't really land it in the same way is we are building a policy environment that's shaping this technology for generations to come. I will be long dead when my grandchildren are using crypto in a way that we are determining today because look at the history and we can go back even to Dodd-Frank I and mean, that's not that's in our in my memory and recollection but prior to that our securities laws date back to the 1930s right so we're doing something similar here with crypto where we're going to have a hundred years could possibly go by before these rules really get changed so i think it behooves us to be thoughtful strategic make sure that what we're baking in can accommodate the many many different ways that this technology innovation could emerge and go but I'm just curious to get responses to that kind of concept as well. Like, do you feel like there's more of a myopia or short-term kind of point of view that a lot of folks in this industry are taking versus do you agree that folks in Washington maybe necessarily by virtue of their age or just the roles that they have and the severity and seriousness of those roles are thinking about a longer trajectory, are looking back to history, are kind of drawing these threads, or am I just kind of like inventing this in my mind? Like is this actually something that you think is a distinction? Is it happening?
1: That's a great question. A lot of different ways you could go with this answer. I mean, you touched on laws in both you know, security and telecom that date back to the 1930s, the 1990s, and yet we've made them work somehow, some way, some shape or form. Could they have worked better if we had a more nimble regulatory system or a, a more nimble legislative system that allowed uh, a more clear playing field, so to speak, that instead of being prescriptive on and directive on how to do things that was more of an innovative space, trading bumpers around the edge, but letting things prosper in the middle. Uh, and I think that's where we have to go with crypto and the policies that we're creating now, knowing that your children and grandchildren are going to be living under the rules and policies that we create today. How can we set the sort of bookends on the sides, but leave undefined what's in the middle? So we have protection, we have the consumer regulatory safety at the outset, but we're not telling to the letter what has to be done. That's how innovation flourishes. Now, I have a couple concerns that that's going to be the case. Sometimes Washington, if it knows of a problem and it can measure a problem and it can sense an idea, then it's going to prescribe the solution right or wrong. Uh, so it has to fight its own tendencies to have people say, ah, I've got an idea, now let's act on it. Uh, and that could be extremely prescriptive. Secondly, I do worry about how Washington functions today and the ability of our institutions to grasp some of these big ideas and big changes. And so that's going to be a challenge as well as you know politics gets more and more heated, more and more challenging. Can Congress meet some of these biggest moments and biggest ideas? It's going to have to, right? It has to. If it doesn't, then maybe we end up with something that is not going to work because incompatibility between the regulatory arm legislative arm, and the private sector that's creating all this.
0: You know, I gave this talk in, I think, 2018 or something. I think it was called like Token Fest or something like that. It was something like hilarious, right? It was, it was still very, very much in the Lambo era. And I had this slide. The whole point of this talk was, you know, regulation can be your friend. Regulation can promote competition. And one thing I think that's, that I find very challenging is a lot of folks, both in Washington and in the industry, talk a lot about the regulation of crypto as an end goal in and of itself. And I try to, to really say, right, Like that's not, the regulation of a thing is not a goal. You, there's a purpose for that. There's a public policy purpose underlying any regulation. Consumer protection, you know, your points, fraud prevention, prevention of scams, like whatever it is. There is something that we are trying to affect. And oftentimes we can agree on that outcome. The industry does not want to see, you know, criminals rampantly using this technology. The industry does not want to see scams and fraudsters and all that kind of coming in. So in this talk I gave, I used an image of Sean White going down a half pipe because I was like, <laughs> oh, of course, it was like, this is like the Lambo you know, snowboard ski. Like this is like the peak of that kind of thing. right?" And I said, look, you all go down the same half pipe. You're not all Sean White. But knowing that there's a half pipe and that there are some guardrails around what it is you're doing allows you to differentiate in the market, quite frankly. It's productive for an industry to have a way of comparing things and saying, this one is doing this, that one's doing that, you know. Who's the Sean White and who, who's the me who kind of like, my, like praying I'm not going to die as I go down the thing, right? Those are very different things, but the environment is the same. And I think, according to, I think to what you're saying, it's a different image of this. We're trying to create that container almost, but then the innovation can flourish and thrive within that. And you can be excellent, be excellent going down or be mediocre. And then we'll have an ability to kind of understand what's what or those who are going down and are like, it's not really a person going down the half pipe. It's like a moose in a suit. We're gonna be like, we can spot you and we can see that that's who you are and kick you out of the game. And you're not gonna be allowed to participate in this environment because you don't actually meet the very baseline rules we've set up for how you engage in this ecosystem. So that in my mind is kind of the end goal. that Each of these policy goals, consumer protection, other things, have in mind kind of a playing field and the creation of a playing field within which innovation can thrive by definition Because that's true of many, many industries, but we're not prescribing how you go down that thing, what you do. I consider myself a very creative person. I cannot possibly imagine five years from now, six months from now, what new thing is going to emerge from these super brilliant innovators in this space who are working full time, 24 seven with no breaks. I can tell you it's it's an incredibly hardworking industry, trying to find out what is that thing that's going to add value and be sticky and create something that a lot of people that's usable, right? That's going to lead to adoption. It's going to lead to kind of the benefits that we all know are are possible with this technology. But Nikki, I'd love to get your thoughts just on, on all of this stuff.
2: So one of the things that I think is sticky and you talked about regulation and not having regulation for regulation's sake. So I want to go back to what Corey was saying about cannabis. And I also was on the board of a publicly traded cannabis company. And one of the things that happened in cannabis that were at risk of happening in crypto is the failure of a federal policy and set of policies has led to a 50 state approach to the industry. And the reason that's problematic is because if you want to be invested in cannabis, you are literally navigating 50 different states. And that's where we're going to go with crypto if we don't come up with some sort of rules of the road. So I might push back a little bit on what you said, which is we really do want regulation for regulation's sake. We literally want a set of federal rules so that people can have protected investments and are not navigating or forum shopping across 50 different states, which will lead to, frankly, it hurts the industry overall. I mean, that's essentially what's happened with cannabis. You might be thriving in Michigan or thriving in Colorado, and maybe you have a lot of regulations in California, but if you're a multi-state operator, you're spending so many resources on just lobbyists and lawyers and policy people that you're failing to innovate and grow a business that most Americans want to be legal and want to have the ability to buy. So I think there are actually a lot of parallels to getting something done to just have a basic functioning rubric for this industry, lest we go down the path of cannabis, which remains totally stalled out in Washington. And you've got people going state by state or even to other countries. Canada, by the way, can list Canadian companies, can list on American capital markets, but not American companies. (laughs) So you end up with these sort of like crazy regulatory systems. And I know Corey's involved in this and I was involved, but that's why it's so important to have an industry-wide engagement in Brussels, in Washington, to be sure that we're doing this, so you don't end up with a totally fractured regulatory space, which just means you're paying more people to do regulatory work rather than inventing and innovating.
1: Nikki has a really good point. And there's another parallel on that as well, that one of the challenges that cannabis faced was, I think the natural sort of acceptance of cannabis policy was a center left. And so on the Republican side of the aisle, you had one champion, uh, maybe a couple of other people who were, were positive, Rand Paul, others that were, were supportive, but you didn't really have sort of this strong sense of natural nativist support for cannabis as, as the center left did. Uh, and so the industry and cannabis really got comfortable with that. Uh, and they started working the center left. And all of a sudden, it takes 60 votes in the Senate to get anything done. In a 50-50 Senate, you need to find 10 R votes, center right votes to get something done. Uh, and now we can't seem to be able to do that, and so well I always say that hey, if there's partisanship in crypto, let it be crypto partisans. The partisanship of crypto should be crypto uh, it's not left, it's not right, it's crypto and you know if we can keep this from becoming captured by the right or captured by the left, then the odds of us building that framework, having that success, beating back the challenges that may come are going to be so much better than being stalled out uh, as they have seen in cannabis because They didn't build champions where they needed to build champions.
2: And the beauty, this is what I would say, just tacking on to what Corey just said, which is so smart, is that this really doesn't need to be a partisan issue because ideological elements to crypto that appeal to libertarians, someone with a little bit of a center right streak like me, I'd like a little bit of competition among my currencies, but I'm also long on the US dollar. I care about national security, but I I like the freedom in it. I like the privacy protections that I could have. I don't know how to self-custody my crypto, but I'm interested in doing it. That's the kind of thing I'd like to do. You can also have people who think about access to banks, access to credit, people who are having overdraft fees, people who are paying Western Union fees, right? So that's on the left. You might also find opportunities. There's no reason by definition that crypto should be a right or left issue. And we're in this perfect moment where it's not. It's just not. And so we can capitalize on that by getting the right stories to the right people and figuring out who cares a lot about the underbanked, the unbanked, who cares about people who are fleeing other countries and have to take nothing, but maybe literally their smartphone. And if their currency has just collapsed, who cares about those people? Who cares about the ability to have a speculative wealth function? You know, some people want that. And finding those stakeholders, telling that story, Corey, you're exactly right. That's going to keep this from being a left-right issue. Because if we go down that path, we get totally stuck.
0: So I couldn't agree more. And I have a follow-up, which is there's a perception that this is much more a Republican talking point and issue of awareness than it is a Democratic one. So is your sense that that is true or false? Or it sounds like Nikki, you're saying that's not true. It could be, could wind up there, but you don't think that we've lost that. Because there is definitely a sense from the industry that, okay, the Republicans understand this, they kind of get it, they understand why it matters. We, we're, we're getting there on the, on the D side of the aisle. We aren't quite there yet. And I'm just curious to get your perceptions, both of you, on, on that.
2: I think that it is in some ways a stereotype that misunderstands mm-hmm. the different pressure points among the parties. In general, you might have a little bit more of a libertarian streak among Republicans. It might be that they have less of a concern about some of the environmental impacts of crypto. That's a stereotype about Republicans, which I don't put myself in that category <laughs> as a Republican. I do care a lot about that. But it might be that you get a freedom-focused libertarian bent among conservatives. But you start coming at U.S. national security, if you start undermining the U.S. dollar, you could lose Republicans. I think the reason we're hearing Democrats being more skeptical is Democrats love to regulate. That's their thing. That's literally what they're known for. They love to regulate, hammer, nail. And so they're vocal on the regulations. And I think it's why it feels that way. But if you step in the wrong place at the wrong time on crypto, you can lose Republicans, but you can also gain Democrats by telling a better story in the right way. And so if you're talking about, hey, I'm a person who doesn't want to go into a bank to bank because it's a problem for me and it's a bunch of hassle. Those are people we should think about. If you have Hispanic voters in your district, independent voters in your district, if you start to talk about their constituents in a way that tells a meaningful story, I think we can actually get Democrats on side. And also you're hearing a lot of a small number of people talking a lot about crypto. There are many hundreds of people sitting on Capitol Hill who are not talking about crypto yet. So it's a really perfect moment to get them to have some position because I don't think it's anywhere close to baked. That was a 420 joke. It wasn't like <laughs> was 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 was. go
0: by, are we, gonna, are we gonna acknowledge that joke? Awful Worse. I'll just tell you being a position that I'm in, I absolutely agree with you. I do not think that this is a partisan issue. I think that there are people all across the spectrum, political spectrum, who I think are very understanding of this and its potential, who are trying to learn. I would say, I I do think that there's an earlier phase of this. And I do think that there are folks who tend to be Republicans who are a little further along in their educational journey. I think that is actually a fair thing to say, but I don't think that's in any way saying that Democrats are not right there and that people that would not even necessarily, because they're technically Democrats, really more progressive or more libertarian, even the Republican, are also understanding the value here and and trying to catch up very quickly, but also have folks on their staffs who are really quite caught up already and are very knowledgeable. I had that stereotype coming into this role, and and it's been a very pleasant surprise to realize, uh, well, colleagues of mine in this ecosystem have been a transplanted education effectively, because there are a lot of people who really get it and who are asking very, very thoughtful questions that are 201, 301 level questions, not 101. But to your point, Nikki, there are plenty of folks who are still at that 101 level who really need to understand, like, I know I should know what this is, but I don't really know what it is yet. And I want to understand it.
2: And more than understanding it, understanding why they should care because they have a lot of other things to care about right now, including inflation, a war, (laughs) potential cyber attacks on our critical infrastructure. Why should they care more about this? Yes, they need to learn it and take the time to understand it, but we also need to make it a priority because if we don't, it's not that they don't care about it or can't figure it out. The daily life of a, I mean, I don't know why I'm saying this, Corey should say this, but of a United States Senator, there's a lot of significant issues that they're working on. So why should this be their priority over something else? And that's where we really have to create a sense of urgency around it. And I think competition and protecting our financial system and getting the rules right so that we don't just cede control to potentially an authoritarian state or another kind of actor who could be ahead of us is really important, but you've not just understanding what it is, but why should I care about this today?
1: Yeah. And Congress spaces that sort of like, if you look at the needs of the space as an hourglass, where you have the sand that kind of comes in, uh, if you fill the entire glass bottle with sand, it doesn't move uh, and nothing gets done. And I think that's the challenge right now is how do you get Congress to pick you to be that, uh, that opportunity that starts moving again, and that really is sort of the issue logjam that we see on a variety of globally enormous subjects and issues. So working this through sort of all of the, the bases that we have, we can't get stuck in the, the Twitterverse where, You know, everybody thinks what's happening in Twitter is real life and 80% of the American people don't even look at it. So we need to make sure that we are telling the stories, developing those champions, using all resources of media available, uh, including traditional media, newspapers, uh, old fashioned neighborhood talks and going to your neighbor and talking about it when you have the chance. This is a grassroots, it truly is campaign for crypto that will go and has gone all the way to the top of federal policy concerns. And that's that's how this is going to be won.
0: Mm, I couldn't agree more. I want to get back to something you said, Nikki, earlier, though, on this, the federal versus state kind of regulatory regime and schema, right? Because I absolutely agree that cannabis is a great, example. there are many other examples. A charity law is another example where registration in 50 states and compliance with, you know, business operations and rules around that, uh, even state licensing around certain industries like medicine, law, whatever it is, like are challenging to say the least, right? And there's some reasons why that's a good thing and many reasons why that's not a good thing. Do you think that's a winner though? Do you think the argument that we have to actually reserve this at the federal level is a winner? Because I think the better winner is consumer protection is a federal issue. You should not be differentiating who you're protecting and where state by state, right? Like that needs to be a federal issue. But getting back to that underlying policy goal, which is, again, the things we've been talking about, you know, preserving national security, global competition, fraud prevention, et cetera, et cetera. And I'll say that in part because there are some folks, even in Washington, who understand and aren't necessarily supportive of federal government, you know, federal level interventions and things. And we prefer to see the states deciding on their own. And this is a movement I think we've seen in social issues, but we're also seeing in business as well, which is not as widely known. I think we see this a lot in social issues coming up, but I'm curious. I think that you bring up a good point, which is
2: whether or not it's an effective cudgel to get anything done. And the answer is definitely no. So you have broad support for a privacy law in this country. Everybody wants a federal privacy standard. Everybody wants it. Congress wants it, consumers yep. want it, the companies want it. We don't have one. Yep. We don't have one. Everyone's going 50 state by state by state and it's a mess. So do I think that the fact that I think that we should have a light touch federal regulation to manage these assets and like clear jurisdiction among the agencies is a good idea going to get anyone to do it? No, I don't. However, from a pure business perspective, it is much harder to have to navigate. It's that drag on your resources to have to navigate 50 states. So this is more about creating that sense of urgency in Washington. Maybe some people would rather just set up shop in Wyoming and stay there. But essentially, if you want to operate in New York, right now, you've got to get involved in New York, You know, in local New York politics and in Albany. And that's just a drag on the companies. It's costly. It's enormously costly. So At the end of the day, just because people want it and there's an idea of having a federal regulatory regime doesn't mean that that's going to magically happen. What pushes levers in DC are industries, right? That's why you have antitrust is moving right now because you have people, competitors pitching Congress against their business opponents versus privacy where you've got a lot of agreement, but the gears are just stuck. And so I think it's really about the industry creating a compelling story. Corey makes a great point. This has to be grassroots. You have to have people talking about it. And people in New York who want to buy something right now using crypto can't. So get those voters engaged, right? Get them to start talking. So just because I think it's a good idea does not at all mean that it's going to happen. The political realities are this has to become a voting issue or an economic issue for voters. And that's the only way we're going to get it done.
0: Corey, I'd love to hear from you before we have to wrap, but
1: yeah. Yeah. You bet. I mean, Washington, D.C. seems to be the only place in the world where the more people agree on something, the less likely it is to get done. Uh, name the issue, right? Uh, not just crypto. But if you look at cannabis and the 50 states approach, the only bill right now in Congress that has a chance of passing with 60 plus votes to get beyond a filibuster by you know, most likely Republicans on cannabis uh, and to get out of the House is the States Act, which is actually a federalism based approach giving the 50 states the ability to basically opt out of federal law, so that's the only thing that would pass. Now, if you try to layer that on top of crypto, I think there's a big challenge there, right? You are going to see states innovate. You are going to see uh, states try to take the lead, like Wyoming and others, who want to be the home of this opportunity. But does that work in this case? Does that work? You can go pick up a physical joint, but you're not going to be able to pick up a physical crypto, right? That's you know you can't carry it with you. Well, you can, but uh, not not you're not going to have it like that. So. You know, I think that's the challenge here. And so that federal level, that federal approach is still going to be, I think, necessary to to blend together. But again, I'm not here to say that you aren't going to see innovation, nor do I want to say, let's try to tamp that down. No, we need the innovation. We have to have it because that will drive Washington and that will eventually make sure that the right activity happens out of Washington.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you both so much for joining me today. I think my takeaways here are things that, you know, I think we all know intimately well, which is. Washington, despite a lot of discussions and topics and this being part of, you know, making Beltway Media and this kind of stuff, and, and more and more people leaving Washington to join crypto companies and all that, Washington does move slowly. Uh, it moves in a certain way. Like there's certain kinds of things that are influential and certain other kinds of things that are not necessarily influential. The way you think about an intervention in Washington, and this is true actually of Brussels as well, but let's speak to Washington for the moment, you know, it, it's complicated. It's, it has to be long-term strategic. It has to be, thoughtful. It has to be respectful. Nikki, to your point, it has to meet people where they are, but understand that they have capacity for moving well beyond where they currently are. If you tell the story correctly, and if you make it compelling, which is a responsibility, I think of all of us in industry who care deeply about this industry and want to see it thrive. So thank you, Corey Gardner. Thank you, Nikki Kristoff, for joining me today on Money Reimagined. Thanks to all of you for listening and tuning in and stay tuned next week when Michael will be back. It'll be the two of us again on the new episode of Money Reimagined. You've been listening to Money Reimagined. Today's show
3: featured Sheila Warren and guests Corey Gardner and Nikki
0: Kristoff. This episode has been produced and edited by Michelle Mousseau, with announcements by Adam B. Levine and additional production support from Eleanor Paul. Our theme song is Shepherd. If you have any questions or comments we would love to hear from you, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, Money Reimagined. Or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And from all of us at Coindesk and the Money Reimagined team, thanks for listening.